Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Trap Draw. I'm Cody. In a little bit, I'm going to be joined by Neil. Yesterday, Neil and I recorded an episode of The Booth. We we're very, very excited about it. We did it yesterday morning. Yesterday afternoon, I was hard at work editing it away to get posted overnight. I didn't get around to it because I had this lingering thought in my head. I know all you Trap Draw listeners are very interested about what happened yesterday with this down aircraft. Uh, just north of Moscow. So this is what I know. And later on in future weeks of Trap Draw, I'm sure TC and Randy are going to dive more into it. And there's a lot more information that still needs to be reported. But this is what we know so far. An Embraer Legacy 600 business jet took off from Moscow Airport at around 6 o'clock p.m. local time. It was headed to St. Petersburg, Russia. Yevny Prozinga, a.k.a. The hot dog man, who have we talked about before? Who is he? He's the founder. He's the leader of the Wagner Group. The other key person on board, Dmitry Utikin, the hot dog man's second in command, somebody that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. According to flight information and provided by Flight Radar 24, an excellent website that I use all the time to track all these flights all over the world, the Embraer Legacy 600 that's registered to the hot dog man himself took off from Moscow, registered at around 610 local time at an altitude at 28,000 feet. They were cruising there for a good 9-10 minutes, showed no signs of problems or anything else like that. Then, the aircraft began to make erratic ascents and descents for several hundred feet in a space of about 12 seconds before suddenly dropping 8,000 or so feet in 20 seconds after that. And then the jet suddenly plummeted, making its last radio transmission at 6.20 p.m., flying at 19,000 feet. According to Flight Radar 24, they stated that in this data that provides some insight into the final moments of the flight, they noted that it showed a dramatic descent, leaving no other question that either there was a catastrophic event that happened on the aircraft or somebody shot this aircraft down. Now, Western media will not state that this aircraft was shot down because a state actor shooting a civilian aircraft out of the ground spurs and triggers a ton of different investigations and everything else to go into it. They are going to wait for other worldwide agencies to make that determination. Now, as I said, of the two people that we know that were on board, there's 10 total. I have a little bit of speculation at the beginning here because the hot dog man, we know him, a man of many disguises, multiple different passports, known to travel and cover names. Most of the time would not list himself in true name on a flight manifest. Now, according to multiple different telegram accounts, specifically Gray Zone, which is a very close, closely tied, it's actually a telegram account controlled by the Wagner Group. Uh, they state that, that Porzinga is dead, as, long, as well as Yucatan. Since then, there's been no official confirmation by Wagner in public statements or by Russian authorities. Western intelligence has stated that it is very likely, and they have a high level of confidence, that Prozinga was on board this, this aircraft. Now they can't come out and, and say it, but I'm sure they have this via multiple different means of intelligence. Both Putin and Sergei, Russian's foreign minister, haven't made any statements on this yet, and not because they haven't had the opportunity. Both of them spoke yesterday as well as overnight, 
at the BRICS Summit in Johannesburg. BRICS is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. It's a large group of these countries that discuss emerging economics and things like that. They've both had multiple appearances, both had multiple speaking engagements, both have not made a single statement to this down aircraft or the death of Putin's supposedly, I mean, prior to coup, close friend. President Zelensky of Ukraine, he stated, we have nothing to do with this plane crash. We have no relationship with that situation at all. There's been multiple videos that have been posted online, pictures that were posted online, some pretty graphic images, if you ask me. Obviously, the remains of all 10 bodies have been found, but everything's beat up, charred up. Uh, they're going to have to wait for DNA results to come back to be able to confirm anything. No clue on what the timeline is that is because the investigation is being conducted by the Russian government, so we'll have to wait and see. But very strong indicators here that the hot dog man, and, and people always ask, why do you continue to call him the hot dog man? Because Prozinia, he he was in jail for a long, long time as the Soviet Union was collapsing. And when he got out of prison, of course, he, he started his career selling hot dogs on the streets in St. Petersburg. When he was there, at the time, Putin was a young field agent in the FBS. And he started to, they became close friends. They kind of became two official government figures as Putin continued his career and, and moved up the ranks in, in St. Petersburg before moving down to Moscow. Because of their close relationship, Prozinga kind of developed this his hot dog cart selling business. He grew it into a an, an full-blown catering operation that had multiple contracts with Russian government facilities all across the country and as well as outside or all over the world, everywhere Russian government locations were at. Because of that, he amassed a massive amount of wealth due to these contracts with the Russian government. He continued his friendship with Putin. And like ultimately, he got the nickname of Putin's chef because of how close their relationship was and the contracts that Putin continued to give him. But for us, he'll always be remembered as a hot dog man. Again, it's pretty clear here indications that both the hot dog man and his second in command, uh, Dmitry Yukatin, both died in this, in this crash, but we're going to have to wait for DNA to come back. Anyways, here's Neil and I for the special booth edition. I think you guys are going to like. We finally get to some voicemails. More to come on all this Russian stuff. Fascinating. Shout out to Mr. Jeezy. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Trap Draw podcast. And it's the booth. It's Cody. Join with my brother, Neil. How you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic. Uh, I'm out at the country estate, hanging with the pups. Things are good. We've been on the road. It's going to take a few days to get over my uh, DraftKings just implosion. I wouldn't say it's an implosion. I mean, it's all I got the best of me this week, but just hobbling coming out of nowhere. I know we don't talk about golf, but that's what's on my mind right now, Cody. Well, Just, that's not about golf, theoretically. That's a, strictly a betting podcast. And before we go down that DraftKings, great partner of ours line, I want to talk about another partner of ours, and that's Roback. Roback Activewear. We all know Roback. These guys just understand quality. There's only one way to describe Roback. 
best fit, best feel. Now that summer's in full swing, it's perfect time to load up with the best gear we own. First, their performance polos just hit different. Whether it's the USA theme design or the classic solids and stripes, these polos look clean. With their four-way stretch and moisture-wicking fabric, these polos will get you through a warm summer day on the course. Second, Roback's performance hoodies are the stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf. So we're both wearing them. Honestly, not just golf. this This is basically all I wear. This is office attire for me. I'm not going to show you my pants right now because you don't need to see nobody office sees that, and but. and travel attire. Great for planes. A hundred percent. They're the softest hoodies in golf. If you want to be comfortable and relaxed on the course like us, then wear a rowback hoodie. You guys know we can't take them off. And if you want to start your day right, then start it in a rowback hoodie. Third, Roback's performance Q-zips are a game changer. I'm excited for Q-zip season to come because it's too damn hot out here right now, Neil. It's nuts. Nothing beats rocking a rowback Q-zip for an early round of golf. They're soft, stretchy, and comfortable, and we honestly can't take them off. It feels like you can't go anywhere without spying that subtle dog logo or two-striped ridge on the back everywhere you go. The dog logo's everywhere. It's all over the BMW Championship. Love it, love it. Everywhere. Even when we were over in uh, London a couple weeks ago, me and the big guy, people were just shouting out rowback to us all the time. It was great to see. Summer's in full swing. Use code TRAP, that's T-R-A-P, on Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of the week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off all polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with code TRAP. Summer is calling, so make sure you check them out for more. Neil, DK, man, you got a rough week. You kind of, Solly, I don't know how he did it. He pulled a rabbit out of the hat here. He painted you back in the corner, and you just didn't have any other options, man. Yeah, I mean, Hovland just, you know, he just killed me. It, it It's devastating. Credit to Solly. He went all in on him. That's great stuff. Uh, I know nobody really cares, like, talking about your fantasy team. But I woke up in a hotel room in Milwaukee, a little foggy yesterday, and you're looking at the odds. There's just not much to bet on at the Tour Championship. And, you know, Solly's at home. He's got plenty of time on his hands right now. He's just... He was able to do the math and just, you know, basically bet just enough on Rory so that if Rory wins, you know, I have a hundred nuggets on Rory winning, then, you know, he still beats me by like three nuggets. So I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that like Ludwig wins and TC goes and just takes it and the Vision Fund is on top. I think that would be like kind of what I'm I'm rooting for at this point. But that's not what we're here to talk about, Cody. What are we doing today? We have, uh, we've gotten lots of calls. We've gotten lots of DMs, messages, and everything. Neil, we're finally cracking the code today. This booth episode is a 100% voicemail only oh, yeah, episode. Baby. The listener line has been active. It's hot. And I want to tell you something. Uh, we had this idea last week. said, hey, let's just do straight listener line stuff. I went back in and started checking everything. The The other boys... Haven't been doing the auditing on this listener line. Nobody's checked it since like the second week of April. And it was an unruly task. We're finally up to date. And boy, oh boy, I'm excited to kick it off. What is the what is the listener line? Let's give the people the number in case they want to call in after hearing some of these call-ins. Trap draw listener line 833-330-8725. That's 833-330-8725. And we love to hear from the people, you know, whatever they got. Call it in. Doesn't matter if it's for this. This is for 
TC and Randy's chop session, maybe the owner's pod that's been a big hit. Talking about seven fishes last week in the Bear Perfect Club. We got more Perfect Clubs coming, but I'm excited to pop this off. And guess what? I made a little special intro for it too. That's how excited I am. So to kick off the first booth voicemail listener episode, here we go. Time, long time. Really appreciate what you guys do. What up, Trap Draw? This is Pistol Pete out in Minnesota. Uh, this is Magic Jeff again from Atlanta. John in Murfreesboro. JB, former member of the NT Bandits. This is Ryan from Connecticut. Big T from Chicago. This is Uncle Sleazy coming to you from Decatur, Georgia. This is Dan from uh, Central Florida. Dave from Dallas. Mike from Iowa here. It's Dirty Dre down here in Atlanta. <laughs> this is Reed. Smith from Denver checking back in. This is Clay in Columbus. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. Luke Smith from Canada. It's Rich Homie Glitz from Michigan. Isaac from West Palm Beach. (laughs) Jungle Bird here. Night Train Lane here. Fama Bearcat calling. What's up, guys? It's Poosh. Anyways, (laughs) have a good show. Bye. I'm so excited to get this thing going. Appreciate everybody that calls in. And we have quite a few... Uh, voicemails, a lot of people uh, confused. Where? How come people are not playing voicemails from the listener line? A lot of people also uh, about the, the second week uh, and then all of July just hammering the listener line because that's what DJ decided to put for the strapped uh, code. For, for the so, trailer, that's right. So you know, The number we'll, does we'll, work. And you know what? A lot of representation there from Dallas. And Hotlanta, I mean, ATLians all over the, the Trap Draw listener line. Shout out to my guy, Magic Jeff. That's a uh, close friend and high school high school buddy of Bazaars. I love it, baby. Let's get involved. All right, first one here. Let's kick it off. Gentlemen, Smith from Denver checking back in. This may end up being a timely topic that's not discussed given Randy's laissez-faire attitude about Trap Draw appearances. However, I was watching the Suns Warrior, or sorry, the Warriors. No, no. Cut this. I was watching the Warriors. Golden State. Fuck. Now, Neil, the reason why I play that is because some people false start when they call in on the listener line. And we're looking for all sorts of of feedback. Again, I said you can call in with whatever you want. Uh, It does not matter here, but be prepared. Because if you if you kind of stumble over your words, we listen and it's funny, we're going to call you out on it. Well, yeah, have a take. Don't suck. Come prepared. You know what I mean? Like, you're stepping up on stage. It's open mic night. So, Smith from Denver, do better, big homie. What? Like, come, come correct, baby. Yo. How we doing, fellas? Um, just sitting here on my couch watching watching Neil throw baseball around all number flash on the screen. I was like, this isn't a real number. And so I called it, and here I am talking to you guys. Um, let's see. What, I, I mean, I didn't have any material ready to go. It just kind of just kind of thrown upon me here that I'm I'm talking to people. Uh, let's go with uh, let's Carpe Diem. Um, one love, and let's, uh, let's keep our head on the swivel out there. Bye. Now, Neil, after combing through, I think there is about 1,300 messages in there. 
a lot of people just want to talk to people. Sure. I don't understand. I think this is how QVC still stays in business because people just like calling numbers, random numbers. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, we had a couple like that. That that guy obviously coming off the strap. There's a lot of people calling, wanted to buy uh, the strap take. Unfortunately, it's not officially for sale unless you're going to make something for sale. Who knows? But We got some strap merch in the shop, you know? But listen, Reed sounded like... <laughs> He'd been sitting on his couch for a while, maybe maybe doing some illicit activities. Uh, but hey, thanks for calling. Yeah, the number is real, you know. So so come uh, come correct when you call the trap draw listener line. Very very real, just like this. Hey, it's Dave from Dallas. Um, need to learn how to play baseball. My defensive skills are pretty terrible. I don't know if that's where, uh, you know, if this is a place where people can learn how to play baseball. But again, I just want to put a punctuation note on it because of these uh, a little over a thousand, probably five, 500 of them were looking for this tape. Anyway, I take that as a compliment, though. I mean, maybe our fundamentals look pretty tight. I know Randy's crow hop. People were worried he's going to blow his knee out. But I, I would say overall a good crow hop feel like technique with the alligator hand on top of the uh, ground brawl is is always been something I've been proud of. So happy to hear that the strapped trailer was a catalyst for people to call in. That's exciting. You know, this is not an airports pod, but I think your brother and Randy do a good job of, of staying up to date. And usually what they do is they're, they're beating up American Airlines flaws in the system. Uh, a lot of Southwest hate the the rummaging through Alaskan and just TC trying to find every single Twitter search queue that he can to just just harp on all these bad airlines to include what he puts in there as Delta as a bad airline, all to ride for his United. And, and this is this voicemail that I'm going to play is not necessarily to harp on uh, United by any means, but I think to cover travel as a whole. And I know you've had a lot of hectic travel this. This summer, I have as well, but this guy, it, it, he's kind of been thrown through the ringer. Hey, uh, the first time, long time, really appreciate what you guys do. Uh, got a question for Tron, actually. Uh, was caught in the United terrible mix. Um, had a 17-hour flight delay. At least the plane took off, but was actually heading out to Sand Valley. Missed my first round of the weekend. Okay, things happen. It was a crazy situation. Then two weeks later was uh, going to Barcelona with my wife and it was a red eye uh, overnight and it got canceled on the day of. We end up rebooking on Lufthansa, have a crazy connection. That flight gets delayed. We're running to the Munich airport, make the, make the connection, arrive just a little bit later, but two of the more stressful travel days that I've had in a long time. And I was a long time United stand. You know, my hitters at United, they really hooked me up. I was traveling a lot for work, had four or five years of 1K and have preached the United gospel. And uh, for the first time, uh, you know, in my life, I'm questioning, hey, is this too much? Should I be switching airlines at this point? And I uh, just need some advice from Tron here. Uh, appreciate everything you guys do. Thanks. So this is Mike from Iowa. Yep. Listen, Mike from Iowa, I, I, I feel like you're kind of stuck, man, because you're going to get it from every airline. Like I got a you know, 16-hour delay from Delta back in January. I, I've said it before here on the track, or I'll say it again. I feel like it's every 10 flights, you're going to get in the bone zone at least once. 
Now, it sounds like he was in the bone zone twice, which is tough. But, like, you just got to be ready. Like, it's just kind of a fact of life. Air travel's tough. Like, I think we, I, I, you know, a lot of ways I think we beat up on these airlines. Like, maybe a little too hard. I think air travel's like a modern marvel. The fact that they're able to work these logistics as well as they do. Sometimes you just get boned, you know? I mean, where do you stand on this, Cody? Well, up until about a year ago, I was very dedicated to the same airline, which I feel is a premium airline offering. That's Delta Airlines. But since moving to DFW, there's a lot of things that I think from convenience wise that I can get to in one shot that Delta does not serve from here. So I have found myself tape making other options. Dogs are going crazy right now. I got to check right. something real quick. But what I was saying is that I think the ease of, of access and admitting that like, even if it's an American flight and I've had, uh, I've, I've had a couple American flights this year, just because I can get somewhere uh, direct. And I feel that, there, I will not have luggage issues or anything else like that. You're spot on. There's so much stuff that's up in the air. I don't know how anybody is able to control and manage all this shit that's flying around. You go to an airport and there's tens of thousands of people and they're all, you know, basically angry. And if one thing goes on, people just start flipping out. I think that the success rate at which these airlines operate should be celebrated more than I, anything else i agree they try to sweep some stuff under the rug like i i had a red eye back from san francisco with united they switched planes at the last minute i had a premium economy seat they put me back in you know whatever economy plus and acted like it was the same that was thing. dirty yeah and it's like yo it's not the same thing guys and and it was like, you know other people around me the whole section's freaking out so i'm like all right i was just kind of over listening how are they going to handle it? the flight attendants can't do anything about it Gate agents trying to kick you over to the, you know, online customer support. So it's just, you know, they're big operations. You'd like to see them handle that kind of stuff a little bit better. Um, like you, I was, I've always been a Delta guy. Flying out of Newark so much, I'm actually like smack dab in the middle of a status match with United. I'm trying to go platinum Delta to platinum United. I have 120 days, now probably 60 days left to get 4,000 PQPs and 12 segments. And I think I'm going to hit it like on the number that Solheim cup what's, flight. What's a PQP? So a P so this is what pisses me off though, is I've never been deep in like the mile. It's, you know, the gamification. I've always been like what you said, a big, like if it's direct, I'm taking it. Like that's right. kind of like a personal principle. I, I hate connecting. So it's like, you're going to sacrifice some status if that's, you know, what you're going to do. Well, now they got me playing the game because if I don't get this status match, I can't apply for one again for like four years, right? So then uh, if I don't get this platinum match from Delta, then I'm going to be a silver. So it's like, all right, I got I to gotta play the game. So I got a fucking spreadsheet. I'm reading the fine print. So PQPs <laughs> means you have to, it's the money spent on the ticket and it has to be on United Metal. I do air quotes for that. Meaning like I learned this the hard way took a flight to Vancouver. You get United points for flying Air Canada, but don't, you don't get PQPs for those. So you don't, like, if you fly a partner airline, that's, like, you're going to get mile, United miles, but you're not going to get the PQPs or, like, the, you know, the, the miles that matter, I guess. So you got to, like, you know, you got to watch yourself on this stuff. So, like, for the Solheim Cup, where there's a direct flight from Newark to Malaga, Spain, that's a United bird direct flight, which is awesome. Cause I think that that's going to help me get the, uh, you know, the PQPs I need, 
but it was sending me all these other flights. They only fly that, that plane twice a week, that direct flight. And mm. if I wanted to leave on Tuesday, I was going to have to fly Lufthansa, but I'm not going to get the PQPs for that, right? I get the United Miles, but I wouldn't get the, you know, what I need for this status match. So you got to fly United Metal uh, and you got to basically hit these 4,000 PQPs and you got to have, you know, 12 segments. So if you time it up properly and I do this, and if you do it in the back half of the year, I'll get uh, platinum status all through next year. If I had done this in, you know, the first half of the year, if, if my status match had gone through before July 1st, you would only get it for the end of 2023. So that's another little wrinkle. Like you have to pick the right time to do it. So like, like the perfect time to do it would be like start your status match in April, have it hit in like August, let's say, and then you get the whole back half of 23 as a platinum and then you get 24 as well. So there's a lot of all these wrinkles and I've always, you know, TC's always been the one that's like reading the, you know, reading the fine print. But I'm kind of like, man, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it right. And so they've got me right now. United's got me. Um, now the good thing, I think, I personally think Delta is a better airline, but I think there's, I think everybody knows that. And there's a fuck ton of Delta Sky Miles members. Yeah. You're never going to get upgraded. I mean, you're just, no. you're at the back even of the, the line. Even as platinum, I don't get upgraded anymore. So I feel like United, you got a little bit better chance of being at the front of the line, especially with the kind of places we're traveling to. Like I got upgraded uh, my flight back from Milwaukee last night. You know, not a full, not really a full plane, Milwaukee to Newark, like, hey, little, you know, 737, just a little bigger seat. Wasn't a big upgrade, no big deal, right? right? But, uh, you know, what a thrill that is. I'm not used to getting the upgrade. So they, they basically, they, when you do the status match, they give you platinum status throughout the status match. So technically I'm a platinum right now, but oh. if I don't hit the PQPs by, I think the date is like October 12th is my, you know, deadline then I will fall back to silver and they'll basically be like, yeah, you're, you can't apply for another status match. Cause I'm not going to hit status on Delta cause I've been flying out of Newark so much. So, so I guess my, my point in saying all that is like Mike from Iowa, it's like you can choose to not play the game, but I think you're better off trying to get status with an airline and flying them because it, at least if something does happen, like, you know, the red eye situation earlier, like they actually have gotten back to me and they credited me some miles for that. Right. Like now, if I was just some no name, if I was trying to do that with jet blue, they would truly tell me to go fuck myself. Like the, the status stuff matters when it comes to like getting a problem solved. I, I, I have to think it does. Right. You get like a, yes, you know, the phone number and all that. So like it does pay to play the game a little bit when that, you know, one in 10 flight comes around where you're going to get boned and there's nothing you can do about it. I think it's that's where the having the status is is valuable. You know, when I was flying to London a couple of weeks ago, I went over through Atlanta and I came back through Boston. Atlanta, I there was a crazy ass line for basically every the Sky Club that was in my terminal and I wanted to go to yeah. a very specific Sky Club because it was a nice one and everything else like that. Well, I had plenty of time, so I was like, whatever. I'm going to go to uh, the Centurion Lounge and check that out there. I show up to the Centurion Lounge, and of course, there's a, a, a queue. So sure. I'm like, how long is the wait going to be? They're like, oh, there's like 15 people in front of you. It's probably going to take like 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, you know, 
I've committed to this already. I I want to check out the Centurion Lounge. I'm going to stay here. But there's a separate so line. Like, there is. So yeah. I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. I get through. I go up the escalators, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is where you register for your actual spot. You're not actually in, you know, in the queue yet. I'm like, oh, shit. I was not prepared for this. They're like, but, you know, people are moving out. Like, you're going to get in pretty quick. So I'm like, okay. So I go back down the escalator, and I'm sitting there waiting. And this guy, I'm sitting, you know, scrolling Twitter, Instagram, everything else. This guy comes up to me and uh, the lady is like, oh, sir, uh, have you already gone upstairs and registered? And he's like, no, I, I haven't registered yet. And he's like, she's like, oh, OK, well, like, let me see your card. And he pulled out that MX black. Sure. And it was like he was Moses and the seas parted for him. And she <laughs> said, oh, thank you so much. Uh, sir, if if I could, what's your last name? Walked him straight upstairs, passed all lines, went, introduced him to another person working inside, said, this is whoever. Uh, and every, everybody was like basically waiting on him hand and foot now. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Now, I know th that, that's never going to happen to me in my life. I never in my wildest dreams will ever have this Amex black card. But it just it stuck in my head like these little tiny perks that come with these things, what actually matters. And to the rest of us who are like, I'm a silver sky miles member, or I own this, you know, I pay my $600 a year for my platinum card, respect me. And they're like, yeah, yeah, get the fuck out of here. Like get to the back of the line. Well, it's, I mean, that's kind of the way all these airports are going. I know Randy's talked about this, but I still feel a little scummy. I got the clear thing with the pre-check. And they just walk you right in front of everybody and you get this big guy from people and you're like, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's like 120 bucks or whatever. I, like at some point you got to like, if you're going to travel a bunch, you got, you might as well pay for some of it. You know what I mean? I know it's scummy, but that's what the airports turned into is like a Wait, have and you, have not. You, yeah. You paid for that? The, the clear? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So uh, clear TSA pre-check and global entry are perks for being a platinum card holder. Oh, yeah. Well, it's been refunded, but I, I'm talking about years ago. Okay. Right? Okay. Now, Just I have making sure. The biggest one, I mean, if and and shout out to Carson like for getting me signed up for Global Entry. I mean, there is no better feeling than coming around the corner at JFK and seeing the, you know, arrivals hall and like you're going Global Entry and they're calling you by name. Like, all right, is Neil? Yeah, Neil, come on up. You're good. And you just see these people in line like, you know, that no one's helping them. It's just like, go stand in this blob of people. And then like, oh God, global entry is like, that's the biggest game changer there is. Now also at JFK, they had line, a separate line last time I went to the Sky Club for, you know, platinum, diamond and up. Yep. And they, and then like everybody else, like with the, basically with the Amex card. And it was kind of yep. like, you start to see like, oh man, it's just like, we're just going to create another layer on top and another layer on top because there's so many people with like some sort of status now. Not just status, though, but I understand what you're saying. But people like we're also paying for those like access to those places. Like whether it's your platinum card, uh, like I have like the business platinum card. But for like my personal stuff, I have the purple Amex Delta card. Yeah you pay a yearly fee and you get a ton of perks with it, companion passes and everything else like that. But part of that is also like the lounge access. 
And it fucking sucks when you're like, oh, okay, so I'm stuck at this place for two, two and a half hours. And I go to wherever the lounge is at. And they're telling me like, no, you're going to, you have a 45 minute wait. I'm like, well, what the fuck am I paying $600 a year for? I mean, that's capitalism though, right? They oversold them. And I'll say two things. One, it's forced me to get smart about like, I try to fly as early as possible. Those lounges are open in the mornings and they're not busy. It's a great time to fly, right? Traffic's not as bad. It's kind of on you to like plan around that. Like it's like, yeah, don't go somewhere at rush hour. Right. It's just a fact of life. For me, it's never my depart airport. Like I go to DFW Terminal E. Nobody else is ever in Terminal E. It's very we have a very good Delta Lounge there. That's awesome. This is very, very much a connecting place issue. That's why I never when I go international, I never come back through JFK. It will always be I try to do Boston every single time because you never have any immigration issues. And I think getting your luggage to rechecking it in is like very, very, very quick. Atlanta, sometimes it's hit or miss, but those are my two spots that I try to come in through. I would say, I mean, we, we'll get to the airport stuff later this year, but every airport I've been to, like major one of late, like so recently Newark, let's see, Chicago, like the, every airport has a massive lounge being updated, whether it's an yeah. Amex lounge, a United lounge, or a Delta lounge. So one, I appreciate that they're investing in it. But it also tells you these cards and like the fees must be, they must have sold a ton. They must have made a bunch of money off of this. So I would give them credit that like, yeah, they've, they're almost acknowledging like, yeah, we have an issue. We can't get, you know, all, all these people, we want to give them all access, but we don't have enough room for them. But then you go to a place like LaGuardia where they have these brand new lounge. It looks like a Four Seasons resort. And I've never waited there. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. Um, so I think it's just like, I want to give them a little time to get some of these lounges that are under construction open. And then maybe we'll feel a little differently about the, uh, you know, the lines out in front, because I know that's been an issue. And cause you don't want your, you don't want your best customer standing in line. That's just a bad vibe. Well, just like this guy, he's clearly yeah. a very proud and, and enjoys flying with United. And now he's got a sour taste in his mouth. I'm also curious. They, they always call out with United because all this is new to me with United. It's, it's, you know, Premier 1K, but then they're the global services. And I, I, it's global services just like the upper, upper echelon. I almost feel like it's this invite only, like you are like a, you know, you're like chosen as like the GOAT status above Premier 1K. It's the same thing with uh, Delta 360. Okay, so that's like, the same you thing. Have, it's like invitation only, our most loyal people. So I remember talking to Gil about it one time because Gil like, flies out of philly and has spent a ton of time like and he's like that that premier mark for him he's been rewarded for his loyalty and he's like oh yeah he's like i never have a single issue anywhere i go because i have like this whatever status it is i'm like damn that's nice now does all this stuff matter i think to most people if they're not if they're only taking a couple flights a year none of this matters just get there early it doesn't matter 100 percent. and i think that's like when you talk about airports and the logistics that go into everything airlines related, it's because nobody is giving themselves enough time to actually get the shit done that they need to get done. And then it becomes somebody else's issue that people want to complain about. I don't think those are like the routine travelers that are also the ones complaining and jumping up and down and screaming about it. I think once you get used to traveling, really as much as we do, 
like you're like, yeah, this stuff just happens and you just kind of go with it. And you know that like you have a little bit of faith in the airline and you're going to make it happen. Well, listen, Mike from Iowa, I know you probably want a TC's opinion on this. He's probably going to, you know, apologize on behalf of United, but I think it's bullshit. And I, I hope you, you emailed them and, and let them know that you were unhappy with your 17 hour delay and experience. Cody, before we get to our next question, we got to thank a couple more sponsors. So let's knock it out right now. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I've been drinking it every day. My wife, Carson, and I still kind of splitting it. Uh, and I gave it a try because I, I, my buddy Ross was also taking it. And he's like the healthiest guy I know. And he's like, he kicks his day off with a basically chugging AG1. Then he has a cup of coffee. And then he kind of has a sit down. And I think that's a great way to start the day. So it kind of gets the engine going. Um, I'm a morning guy. What about you? Are you drinking in the morning or, uh, or the afternoon? Yari and I crush this thing first thing in the morning. We've been taking it for, uh, I think, like three months now. It's completely like all my other, you know, vitamins and everything else that I had, it's completely gone. Uh, we love it. We make it in smoothies. She makes two different types of smoothies for me. Either got a, like a strawberry-based one or a, a peanut butter banana-based one. It's absolutely delicious. Gets my gut health feeling right. And the travel packs that you get, I took those over to London with me, and I crushed them. I, I've been a good road warrior so far this year and take my AG1 every single day. I'm looking for energy. I know you're a big gut health guy, immune system support. That's what you're getting with AG1. Um, so if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash trap draw that's drink a g one and that's the number one not not spelled out dot com forward slash trap draw check it out get your gut health in line and then we've also got to thank precision pro long time partner of ours. did you know that we have our very own rangefinder and carrying case now cody did you know that love it love it it actually is pretty crispy it's black with some some green trim I'm a big fan. So we partnered with our friends at Precision Pro Golf to customize the NX10 rangefinder. With your favorite NLU designs to rip the pot on the course, head to precisionprogolf.com forward slash NLU and use code no laying up to save $20 on the rangefinder and the case. Uh, we've been using the NX10 for almost a year and the rangefinder is a tank. Locks onto the target lightning quick the additional, and has additional features such as slope switch, HD optics, and, magnetic, and a magnetic cart mount making the NX-10 our go-to choice on the course. I, I mean it when I say it's a really good product. was using it all week, loved it. So you, you also won't find a better customer care package in golf from free battery replacement to industry-leading customer service and a 90-day money-back guarantee. There's a reason Precision Pro has been our trusted partner for years. Don't wait. Go to precisionprogolf.com forward slash NLU to save $20 and get your NLU rangefinder carry case and custom NLU cover with code no laying up. Cody, let's get back into these voicemails. One more travel thing because this exact same thing happened to me a couple weeks ago and I, I would like to discuss it. Gentlemen, Mike from Iowa here uh, calling about probably a little late, but uh, about the whole seat thing with Neil. My uh, wife and I had a crazy one back in November 
Uh, it was an overbooked flight. Luckily, we were fine, but the gentleman next to us sat down and was talking about his uh, travel issues. And another person comes up and goes, hey, man, you're in my seat. And he goes, no, I'm in my seat. He shows his ticket. He shows his ticket. The wow. same first, middle, and last name. Could not wow. believe it. They double booked the same seat to the same guy, but they were different guys. The one guy who was standing just shook his head, started laughing, turned around. I have no idea what ended up happening to him, but this was not John Smith's situation. These guys had very unique first, middle, and last names and just was blown away that this kind of thing could uh, could happen. I'm sure TC will be happy to hear it was an American flight, but uh, just, yeah, a true, we, we, we didn't know what to do and couldn't believe ourselves. Love you. God, that's fantastic. Mike from Iowa, that's, that's the kind of voicemail we're looking for. First, middle, and last name, the same. Unbelievable. That would happen to American. That's a tough one. I'm not going to pin that one on the, uh, on the airline. That's just like a rub of the green situation for everybody. It's crazy. So Yari and I went to Italy on a little vacay last month and we flew a DFW to Atlanta, Atlanta into Venice, Italy. And, you know, it's her 40th birthday and I make the decision that, you know, I'm going to treat her right. And, and not our little, our little flights from DFW to Atlanta, but the, the long flights I upgraded for uh, Delta one splurge for the lady. She does a ton for me. Obviously, I wanted to make sure and kick this birthday party uh, off or birthday trip off on the right foot. So everything's great. We get our tickets. We, we go to DFW and we have normal comfort seats from DFW to ATL. And when we get there, they say, oh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. McBride, you know, Cody, thank you for being a platinum member. We're, we, you guys have been upgraded to first class. We're like, OK, cool. So, Cody, you're in 3A. Uh, Yari is actually going to be in 5B because that's the only seats they had available. We tried to figure it out when we got on the plane if we could sit next to each other. Unfortunately, the gentleman sitting next to me was having none of it. He did not want to move from his, his he seat. Sits, he sits at 3B on this flight every week. Get out <laughs> yeah. of here. He did not. He, he was very firm that he the only thing that he wanted was that aisle access. Uh, so it just wasn't having it. But anyway, we didn't think it was that big of a deal. So when I got to uh, Atlanta, you know, we go, we sit in the lounge, everything's fine. Uh, we have a couple drinks and this is a, a late flight. So a red eye uh, into Italy. So it's probably 1130, almost midnight or something like that in Atlanta. And we're, I'm up in the lounge and one of the, the lounge people comes from the front desk, comes and said, uh, you know, over the intercom, oh, Mr. McBride, please come down. And I say, uh, yeah, I'm Mr. McBride. They go, oh, yes, uh, we have you in seat uh, 7A on this flight to Venice. And I say, yeah. And she goes, oh, um, there's actually a, a mistake here. Um, at one point in time, we actually kicked you back to like what premium or uh, excuse me, comfort plus. And I said, whoa, like, what's going on? Where's my actual seat? They're like, we fixed it now, but we just want to update you on the situation. And I go, okay, so like, where am I sitting? They're like, you're, you're in your seat. And I go, oh, well, what's the issue? They go, well, actually, there's a gentleman named uh, Thomas McBride that's on your, your flight. And you're Cody Thomas McBride. And I'm like, oh, so what's the issue? They go, oh, he flew in 
on 7A from, I think he was from Virginia, came down from to Atlanta. And there was a confusion on his name and the front desk or the, the desk downstairs accidentally gave him the, t- the seat, your seat, but we've cleared it up for you. I said, oh, okay, thanks for letting me know. Everything's fine, right? I think everything's yeah. fine. We're, we're boarding. We get up there. Tom, Tom McBride is sitting in my seat. Hey, homie. Uh, you're in my seat. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, hello, Sarah. Like, how you doing? I, did you I, hit him with you? Did you hit him with Tom? Hey, Tom, how are you? I said, I said, I'm Cody, and stuck my hand out, and he looked at me like, who, who the fuck are you? Like, get your hand away. I'm like, oh, okay. Clearly defensive, off the off the bat, and he knew exactly what was going on. And he's like, you know, did the whole thing where he's like, no, this is what my ticket says, and I'm like, yeah, but that's like that's wrong. Like I've, I've been updated on this. I can go get uh, one of the flight attendants, but like, this isn't, your I've, thing. I've been brief, Tom, get your ass yes. back, back into comfort. So pause. What happened is the flight attendant finally, after like, you know, help boarding, everybody comes around and I'm just standing in the aisle. So the uh, Delta one flight attendant comes through. He's like, Oh, okay, where's your seat? And I'm like, this is my seat right here. And you know, he looks at this, at Tom who's sitting in my fucking seat. <laughs> And he goes, uh, Tom, Tom, uh, the gate agent already briefed you on this, and I already briefed you on this as well. Your seat is, you know, 14D or whatever back in Comfort Plus. You know this is Mr. McBride's seat. And he goes, I'm Mr. McBride. He goes, you're the wrong Mr. McBride. Please go back to your seat. And this guy, literally, as he's standing there, like, waving his boarding pass uh, and, like, saying, no, this is my seat. This is what he says. Behind it is his new boarding pass. <laughs> that has that has the number printed on it and i see it and i'm like you're you're trying to get over on it i i yeah. see your number you know exactly what's going on and uh you know what the crazy thing is this guy flew to venice with us he stayed uh at the same exact hotel as us got on the cruise ship the same cruise ship that we ended up getting on he his room was on the same fucking floor as us Oof. And, his his meal time was the same meal time one table over from us so i saw this guy literally for the next 11 days every single day and like finally by like day two i was like hey man like everything's okay right like hey hey, tom we're good yeah please please tell me we're good right you're not gonna try to shank me sometimes was he cool yeah he was cool after a while older guy probably like 60 65 years old but like, come on no season, tom that's a bad season form. a seasoned traveler i he's from arlington virginia he's very much a uh like a, a don't tread on me like big government's bad uh sure this this is this is what my fucking ticket says this is yeah what i'm gonna see i'm like uh oh, all right buddy god what are the odds of that same name and then basically as your same itinerary for 14 days that's fantastic Crazy. One thing that we get a lot, just uh, questions wise, based off travel, is what do you do? You think through what you're going to actually pack on some of these trips? Are you just like, oh, it's four days. I'm taking two outfits. This is this is what we're going with. Because I have a question here. Somebody looking for a little advice. Ryan from Connecticut. I have a lot of travel coming up for work uh this year and wanted to get your takes on what are the travel essentials for one to two day business trips or just trips in general trying to trying to figure out my everyday carry would love your input so that's a great question i think right off the top of my head is 
I, I try to, uh, I always try to bring a, whatever I pack sock wise, I usually end up like doubling it. So I'll pack like, Oh, I'm going for three days. So I need like four pairs of socks. I end up taking six because you can never have enough socks and my feet sweat. And I just always mm-hmm. want to have some socks that are, that are ready to go in case I need them. You never know. I always feel like I run out of socks, always need more than I think. Um, same thing, you know, with boxers, like that, that stuff doesn't take up a lot of space. And usually if I'm taking my golf bag, a lot of times I'll just throw my, you know, roller board. I'll just check it. And I always make sure to have a, a, a small go kit on my carry on. So a couple pairs of socks, boxers, t-shirt is always packed in like the side compartment of my, uh, my like duffel that I duffel slash backpack that I use. Um, because if they do lose your bags, which I'm not concerned about on a direct flight, which is why I like to fly direct as much as possible. But if they do, you want to know that at least you bought yourself 24 hours before I have to go start buying stuff at pro shops or, you know, in the airport. Um, so those are kind of my two, like things that come to mind right now. I think the third one is trying to have all my wires, chargers, headphones, oh, plain headphones, uh, all organized. I have one little like uh, side, almost like uh, case that's like exterior to my bag. It's very easy for me when I get on the plane, I step out of the aisle, I unzip this one pocket and it's like one, two, three are out. Then I can get my bag into the overhead immediately. Because you got to watch it. if you're back in, you know, in uh, economy, if you don't get that spot right above your seat, like if you take too long getting stuff out of your bag, somebody will scoop and score on you. Yep. You know, they'll, they'll take it right, you know, right from <laughs> right over your head. Right. And it's hard to be like, hey, no, that was my spot. So I try to be efficient when I'm setting up for my uh, for my flight. Those are those are probably my, my three things off the top of my head. How are you controlling this cable madness? Because I think that's something that I struggle with. I built out an awesome go box for us for like our portable uh, live show stuff that has everything that we need in it. But my backpack itself, because we're we're going and I'm always like, okay, so like, what do I need to have on me? Well, I know that I have to have uh, the big laptop that can control whatever recording that we're going to do. But I also need like, my little laptop or my iPad to be able to do the research that I need to do. I have so many cables, whether that's like lightning or USB-C because you never know what's going with what I have headphones, cables. I have microphone cables. I basically have like duplicate of everything just because you never know when I'm with your brother or Solly of like, Oh, like, can we uh, do this recording now? And I try to be like, yeah, I have everything we need now. If we need to get it done, but what it turns into is like my backpack weighs 50 pounds and just has so much uncontrollable shit with wires coming out everywhere. Uh, so I have this OGO duffel that I've always liked and it has those. And I think you've got an OGO backpack where it's got like the mm-hmm. um, almost like ropes on the outside. There's these little like connector packs that you can link onto them. And I use those to stay organized. So I got a hard case one where I put like the big cords in. So like my computer charger and then it has like a little zip pocket inside of it. And I'll put like all my whoop stuff in there. Right. Cause like not having a whoop charger on the road is very frustrating, especially when you're in the middle of a strain competition and, and, and we got to cop some easy strain. You know, this Cody, you know, this, and then I have a soft pouch 
And that's where I try not to take excess cords. So you're talking about a different issue where you're trying to almost pack for a rainy day. For me, it's one lightning cable. It's one charger, like little cord for my Kindle. And then it's one like, you know, uh, USB adapter, like ACDC adapter. And then, because what happens is if you, you start putting like extras in there, that's when you get the rat's nest of bullshit. So for me, it's like, no, if I lose it on the road, like I lost it over at the open championship, I lost my phone charger. I like left it. I don't know where I left it, but it was like, I'm buying a new one period. Like, and I should have to, because like, I shouldn't lose it. So I should punish myself. I feel like where it's like, you know what? Don't fucking lose your phone charger. And if you do, it's going to cost you 25 bucks at the airport. Like, I think that's a good way to keep yourself honest. Um, so that's what, that's how I think about it. And then the other bag I love that I've been using the Yeti, like the big duffel that I've been using for, uh, like if I need to go overseas and I got to have a big, like week long trip. So I'm checking that bag for sure. But it came with a bunch of those little like packing cubes. Like, um, yeah. So there's like three different sizes and those are awesome for cords. So it's like, all right, podcast cords in the big one. And then like, you know, phone or camera stuff in this one. So I think it's, I think the key is just staying like packing, like the, the Russian nesting doll of packing inside, <laughs> inside the packing is, is like, the, the thing that I found the uh, the most useful. I don't know. I'm trying to think about what else. Like I usually might, I, I think I had a bad run of not looking at the weather. So like I went out to Lake Tahoe for a bachelor party. I forgot it gets cold at Lake Tahoe at night. I didn't bring enough outerwear, you know? It's like, fuck, man, I'm, that's like stupid. I brought enough socks, but I didn't bring enough outerwear. You know, so that's frustrating. So I think checking the weather is always a, you know, listen, that's just a a good step one with whatever you're doing. The other problem I, I've had is I've been bringing too many hats and then I end up bringing like five hats because I want options, but then none of my hats match with the polos I brought. You know what I'm saying? It's like, God, man, like, why didn't I just look at this beforehand? So I need to get a little more efficient with my headwear. And then I, the other thing, I think a big piece of advice that I've gotten a lot better at is make sure you unpack before you repack. Because yeah. like in backpacks and in this duffel I have, there's a lot of just travel debt. Like I've got extra Precision Pro batteries rattling around in this pocket. I've got, you know, empty Zins in this one. I've got Nicorette <laughs> over here. It's like, no, I don't need that. Like that, all that shit adds up. It's weighing me down. And all of a sudden I go into that pocket and I can't find anything. It's like, no, you got to unpack and repack. So like get it all out, you know. And put it in the right spot. And then, you know, because if you're going back-to-back trips, it's so easy to just roll in, get the dirty clothes out. And then, but forget to take out all the koozies and all the, like, random crap that you picked up along the way. And then all of a sudden, you don't realize it, but there's no room in the, you know, kind of miscellaneous pockets for anything else. So true. And good shout-out on the uh, the attachment options on your backpack. Do you know, uh, I know you're a big fan of acronyms, specifically military acronyms. But the webbing that you're describing there, and people have seen this all the time, webbing on the back, uh, outside of it, it's actually called a MOLLE system. M-O-L-L-E is the acronym. Modular Lightweight Load Carrying Equipment. Now, you're talking about like how everything weaves down through the little uh, breaded pieces. That yeah. I guess they would be a horizontal or, or lateral strap attachment. It's called the PAL system. Okay. They can't. Uh, it's some like pouch attachment lateral 
uh, whatever it is, but great military. Yeah, uh, see, I got it right here. This, these are my yeah. attached patches on the side of the bag, right? And that those adds would be called. Yeah, those would be called uh, modular pouches that you can attach to all that stuff. Well, it's, it's great because it 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 doesn't take up room in the bag. And then the best part is sometimes I don't want to take the duffel; I want to take a backpack because I might need to be like using it on the course or something, you know, going to a tournament where the duffel's not as good for that. So what's great is I don't have to unpack all the cords. That's when I feel like I forget stuff is when I like the cord pouch is just like, I can just move the whole unit over to the backpack is, is what I like about that. And same thing with like the little Yeti packing cubes. It's like, all right, no, it's all in here. If I don't want to take the big checked luggage, I can just move that over to my carry on luggage. So I think that the internal if you almost get your like unit set up ahead of time, that's made my packing a lot more efficient. I'm also a big, I'm, I'm a big, I know I don't have good technique, but I'm a pretty good, uh, big, uh, ranger roller now. <laughs> T-shirt, anything yeah. that's, you know, even, even the polos, most of them are like performance fabric. I'm, I'm rolling it all, man. Trying to maximize space in the, in the, uh, in the bag. God, I'd love to hear that stuff. It's all about uh, taking advantage of the space you have, but that it also gets uh, heavy pretty quick. So you got to watch out for that. But man, I love every, the extra socks, the extra underwear, always being prepared. Your Ranger rolling your stuff. I well, did, and the, the the last piece is, and you know, this is a shameless plug, but the laundry bag. I yeah, forgot my laundry bag a couple times this year. It's like I don't. I don't get mad when I forget my chargers. I get mad when I forget my laundry bag. It's like <laughs> now everything, I can't segment anything. And you move all that stuff in the laundry bag over into the golf travel case. And it's just keep the stink out of my carry on stuff in my suitcase. Keep it, keep it over there. So the, the, I, if you don't have a laundry bag, I, I would suggest investing in, in a basic one. It, it's a game changer. 100% could not agree more. That I think that's gone on every single trip uh, since I've received it by far. I know we beat people over the head with this, but the, one of the best gifts that I've ever, I've ever received. Neil, it's a, a lot of good traveling insight. Uh, hopefully the people got what the, the answers that they're looking for there. The one last thing is that I can't remember how to pronounce the company. We did a couple runs with them, but I think it's cricket clothing. Yeah. Correct. Out of Austin. They make a, fantastic lightweight like basically like blazer I, I would call it more of a blazer not so much like a sports jacket but something that you can literally if you take your time and like fold it properly it like you can pull it out shake it out and have a jacket if you ever need it and i take that on almost every single one of our trips because you never know when you're going to be in a spot where you need a coat and you, that, that you sounds know. like a uh uh, a lesson from a former life, Cody. You never know when 100%. you're going to need to throw a uh, sport jacket on. One hundred percent. And like some of our travels too, you like randomly be like, "Oh yeah, well, where are we going to eat dinner afterwards?" And like, "Oh, we're going to eat in the clubhouse, but jackets are mandatory." And I'm like, "Shit." Yeah. Okay. Th thank God for that. We're going to pivot completely away uh, from travel here, and I think this one might tickle your fancy a little bit, Neil. Hey guys, uh, Isaac from West Palm Beach, first time, long time. Just uh, some really concerning talk from the crew regarding, um, you know, monkey labor in, uh, in Thailand, uh, you know, with, uh, co with coconut sourcing or 
or farming or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I mean, can we draw some similarities to, you know, using livestock on a farm, you know, getting milk from cattle or using horses as, as forms of transportation, you know, are, you know, are, are we just kind of, um, you know, conflicted because, you know, of, of, uh, of the homeo sapien connection to monkeys, um, really just trying to figure this one out, uh, you know, first. So to get you up to speed here in Thailand, basically people are training hundreds of monkeys to go out and pick coconuts. Now it, it's fine when there's like wild monkeys and everything else running around. And I know you have experience here in Thailand. Sure. But this guy is trying to create uh, and draw the similarities between monkeys picking coconuts, which I'm sure they like, I don't know, they naturally pick coconuts. Who knows? Versus how livestock is used in the rest of, you know, the United States. I'd say like majority of the world. Big and TC were kind of stuck on this. I don't know if you have an opinion on here. I don't think there's uh, anything like. As long as they're like the monkeys are not like chained up and are, are you know being used in like forced conditions or anything, there's by far worse things that happen in the United States with other animals and fucking you know cosmetic testings and and everything else like that. I mean, I got a beagle, my poor little beagle. Who, by the way, uh, I thought he was like really really sick when we came back from London, losing a lot of weight. I was like, oh no, Freddie's going downhill quick. Turns out he just wasn't able to eat food because he had really bad teeth. Yesterday, he ended up getting 11 teeth removed. Old man. Yikes. Not, not good. Yeah. So you, but does he have dentures now? No, he just his tongue just kind of hangs out the side because so, he doesn't have teeth to hold it in. So how does he eat now? Uh, he's on soft food for a bit. And then uh, once his mouth completely heals up, he'll be able to go back, hopefully, to hard-ish food. But we've always kind of been the people that that – put a little water in there and, and soften it up for him. But Freddie's doing good. He's not, not dying yet. Because anyway, I, always, monkey. I, I heard long ago that most deer die because they gnaw their teeth down. They, they basically starve yep. to death because of, yep. you know, especially in Texas where the shrubs are, are tough. Listen, my first impression is I have no issue with, with uh, monkeys picking coconuts. It's almost like what's the difference with – I don't think it's livestock on a farm. I think it's hunting dogs. Right, you put dogs to work. Ooh, yeah, going to get ducks and going to get pheasants. You know, like they love it. They, they live for it. You know, they're bred for it. So, I feel like, like you said, there's a million other things that I not a million, but there's definitely some other things I can think of that would be worse for monkeys to be doing than climbing up trees and and doing a stimulating activity and probably getting rewarded for it. Um, I, th I think I think I'm cool with that. I mean, because honestly, you're not really asking them to do anything that a human wouldn't be doing. Because a lot of times, you know, the, if it's not them, then some Thai dude's going to be shimmying up the tree and using a machete to chop down the coconuts. <laughs> exactly. That's how I feel as well. I, now, don't, I don't see. I, I feel like the monkeys, the monkeys probably should unionize, you know, like the, the International Brotherhood of Coconut Pickers or something like that, because you know they're getting ripped off. Like, I bet the, the you know, the reward isn't, isn't probably worth the, uh, the output, but. They're just going to have to to learn how it works, you know. Das Kapital, like division of labor. They get, they're going to have to get coached up on some some unionization stuff. Who do you think would be? Uh, who would they vote to be the leader? Just like the the eldest monkey, or do you think they'd go to a different species or or what? 
Maybe the proudest monkey. Shout out to Dave. Uh, <laughs> no, there's that show on Netflix though about like the chimps in Africa. Yeah, people. You know, I watched one episode. I, I, it's pretty fascinating, but it is. You know, the, the word on the street is very jarring because the chimps they kill monkeys. They go basically just like hunting for fun, and you know it's pretty gnarly to like see a very human looking, almost relative, like long lost relative, just you know, killing for sport basically. And then like ripping these monkeys apart. Um, so again, like it, it's not like the coconut picking is, is like, you know, we're not asking them to do anything uh, nefarious. Right. And, and some of these primates are doing nefarious things on their own. So, you know, I'm not, if they want to listen, if the monkey thinks that it's worthy of his time and he likes the reward, who am I to say he can't do it? <laughs> That's good. What up, Trap Draw? This is Pistol Pete out in Minnesota. I've got a note for the Booth Boys, Neil and Cody. On the recent Perfect Club, DJ mentioned that Neil accidentally walked into the National Golf Links member locker room. Just wondering if you guys could dig into that and love to hear the full story. All right, thanks, boys. That's true. Pistol Pete, thank you for the question. Uh, yeah, I think I've shared this somewhere. I don't know if it was on the crash course or, or whatever, but I did. I was invited to play out at National. This is probably three years ago. I think now it was it was like late 2020, I think. So like COVID's COVID's going wild. So it's like, all right, I'm driving out there from from uh, New York. I'm all pumped up. I remember calling TC and he was with Zach, uh, Zach Blair, professional golfer. And I was like, guys, I've heard lots of stories about like, hey, we're playing 36 at National. What do I need for this lunch? I keep hearing about this lunch. Like, do I need a blazer? Do I need – and they were both a little bit like, oh, yeah, you should probably bring a blazer. I can't remember if you need a tie, but just bring one anyway. And it was a lot of just like, yeah, just bring it. No big deal. So, you know, I'm running a little late. Um, but no yeah. clear guidance no, by anyone. No, no. Very like, much. Hey. It's like, oh, maybe, you know, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit like not not really the like cut and dry advice I was looking for. So I'm running slightly late, like five, ten minutes behind. But I pull up. There's no signage in this place. You pull in, it's like – this old mansion is kind of intimidating. I got these big rock, like, you know, like eagle sculptures. And you drive up to the place, and it look literally looks like a abandoned mansion. Like, okay, cool. I park in this lower parking lot. I'm like, damn, I am running a little late. I need to like get moving. So I look like I'm moving in. I got like a, you know, I got this duffel bag with me. I got my golf bag. I got my golf shoe bag. So I got three bags. I'm I'm kind of fast walking up to this clubhouse. I see a door. Out in front of the door, there was a box. There was masks and water bottles and scorecards and pencils. And it was like, oh, that must be the locker room. There's no sign on the door. That's great. So I duck in there, kind of get a little, hello, you know, nobody's here. Okay, cool. So I started looking at the lockers. It's like CB McDonald, Michael Bloomberg. I'm like, oh, come on, heavy hitters in here. This is great. I'm like, I guess I'll just, you know, no attendant. I guess it's pretty chill around here. I'll just put my bag under the uh, bench here. No big deal. Walk back out, change my shoes. I'm ready to go. So I walk around the building and on the you know next corner, there's another door. And I'm like, oh, this must be the pro shop. So I, I poke in there and like right when I walk in, there's like a, it was almost like a opaque screen door a little bit. And I open it up in this locker room attendant's like right there, like almost right in my grill. He's like, who are you? I'm like, oh, hey man, I'm Neil. I'm you know, playing like, who are you playing with? Give him the member's name. And he hits me with like, you're late. And I'm like, yeah, man, I know. 
but he's like, where's your stuff? I'm like, oh, I just, I put it on the other side of the locker room. You know, he's like, you did what? I'm like, yeah, man, I just, the place that have waters out in front. And it's like, that's the founder's locker room. You are not allowed in there. I'm like, oh God, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, let me go get it. No, you've done enough. You've done enough. I'll get it. Just get out of here. And like, truly like told me to scram basically. Turns out the pro shop's like a hundred yards back, like over the putting green back of the property. And when I'm walking away, like kind of sheepishly, and I, what I wanted to say to this guy was like, dude, you, I wish I could tell you how hard I tried not to be this guy. Like I called my brother for this exact reason. And, you know, sure enough, and all, you know, all we need to do, man, is just put a fountain, small plaque says founder's locker room. I'll be happy to, you know, it's the first one you see when you walk by. You know, so then, and then the, the, the kind of cherry on top of all this is like get over to the putting green, meet up with the group. Everything's great. Had an awesome day. Played great. It was, it was fantastic. We finished the first round and I'm like, we go in the locker room. I'm like, oh, cool. So I, I was going to shower up and throw on, um, you know, I, I heard coat and tie for lunch. And my host is like, oh, no, the uh, uh, clubhouse is like, we can't eat inside due to COVID. So we're just going to eat outside. Like, you're you're good with what you got on. Yeah, basically. I was like, oh, so all of this could have been avoided, uh, you know? So I think the moral of the story is when you get invited to play a place like this, I've gotten a lot better at just asking the host, like, hey, what do I, what do I need? Yeah. You know? Run me through the protocol. Please. I was trying to ask a third party because I didn't want to look right. like a total noob. And then I ended up looking like more of a noob because I just didn't ask my host. It's kind <laughs> of the moral of the story. So um you know i think i think the same thing with like caddy fees you know like early on you get oh, yeah. invited to someplace and it's like you kind of get to 18 and you almost start to like be secret it's like no man either just ask beforehand so you know you got because the other thing that kind of frustrates Cash. me is when you show up and they don't have an atm yeah. right so you got to plan ahead because a lot of people places almost seems like a point of pride to like not have an atm which I think is stupid, personally. It's like very inconvenient. And I know it's probably like, oh, well, they don't want it to feel like there's a bunch of gambling going on. But it's like, no, I want to pay my caddy fairly. And like, I kind of have, maybe I made an assumption that it's going to be X and, you know, you guys go $40 more. I'm happy to pay. You tell me what the rate is. So I try to ask that stuff up front. And I try to make it clear. I'm a big believer in like, I would like to pay for my caddy. You know, even if we're being hosted or whatever, it's like, I think it's, Personally, I think it's like, no, he worked with me. I should be the one paying him. You know, yeah. if, if, if this is a guest, I'm happy to pay my guest dues as well. But like sometimes like, no, I got it. It's all good. I, I want to make sure though that like the caddy feels like, you know, his work was appreciated by me. So I think it's, you know, I've gotten a lot better at asking those what would be kind of sensitive questions up front. But that, those are the things that like if I, as someone who works in golf, feel like you know, two, three years ago, very like on edge about like, it, it almost gets in your head the whole back. What nine. do you mean? Two, three years ago. Like that's when this story happened, but like still to this day, I feel like that at some places. Well, I think it's just truly like get it out of the way early. Like, you know, or even if you forget to ask like before the round or whatever, it's like early in the back nine, like, Hey man, I want to make sure that like I can, cause then you can plan after the round or you can say like, Hey, I don't have enough. Can you, you could go talk to a, the other guests and be like, can I Venmo you? You got some extra cash. Yep. Like it just makes things go a little smoother when that conversation doesn't happen behind 18th green with the caddy looking on. 
You know, that's what you don't – I hate that feeling of like, I'm unprepared. Now the caddy, yeah. he's, you know, kind of lingering around as I'm, you know, killing time trying to find a spot for my ball marker in my bag. <laughs> oh, you know, it's, it's like the golf version uh, of alligator arms. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, man. I don't seen know what this, I'm doing. Seen this move before. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So I, I've got I've gotten better right. at that. I think uh, not only people in the golf industry, and honestly, we're not talking about that many like clubs out here, and we're talking about the opportunity to go play some of these uber nice clubs. The differences in some facilities to the other on how easy and welcoming they make it versus others who are like so snooty and like these are the rules and everything else like that. Um, at the end of the day, if you're out there as a as a guest of somebody, you know, I think asking your host is obviously the way to go for sure but also the staff at some of these places you clearly know that i'm a guest of somebody like why why are people not going out of their way to make these people feel like welcome like all we're just bringing additional revenue to like their club we're not inconveniencing them and you notice that like some of these employees start feeling like they're members and then you're like well hey guy like you don't gotta be a dick about it yeah, I know. You get get the sense like I was I was somewhere very nice recently. I won't won't name the club, but they didn't have an ATM. But I actually asked the one of the assistant pros, and you know, because I had been out there before, and I you know he, I I'd met him the time before, and he's like, no, we don't. But like, let me know. Like, I have some cash if you need it. You can Venmo me, which I thought was like, you know, so cool. And and that was before the round, and I was glad I did that because it was like, okay, cool. Like, let me talk to my then it was like let me go talk to the host and we'll get it all but it was like he had enough so then i just did it with him instead of getting the pro involved but it was almost like nice to have that little security blanket he was like yeah, yeah. just come up to me after the round like don't worry about it like you know if you need it we can we can do it over here on the side um which i agree with it's like yo yeah don't i don't know what the value is and in, in um like with the national thing i almost thought it was funny like i think that locker room attendant's apparently a legend <laughs> You know, it's like kind of part of the experience out there. Like some places yeah. get away with it, but there's a there's a few where you're like, hey, come on, man. Like, I'm, I I don't think that I'm like a total imposter. Like, yeah, I'm not a member. I'm not trying to pretend to be one, but like, you know, I'm not going to rip your golf course up either. You know, like if sometimes yeah. it does feel like a little bit too much unspoken. Like, how did you how did you not know this, bro? It's like, well, I don't know. Nobody told me. So anyway, yeah. that's the, that's the story. Uh, that, that's the national story. It's such, such a good one. And I know you've, I think you might've told on a nest podcast before that's where it was. Cause I don't think we included that in the crash course, but what I will say is like, speaking of phenomenal member stories last month, we got a, a opportunity to go play at this, uh, golf course in Nebraska and our host that we had was such a legend, dude, like 30 days out, he sent us this like full email rundown of like, expected weather while we're there this is what you should pack this is what you should expect for dinners this is like these are the rules that you cannot break at the club and very specifically of like not just this one but a lot of these clubs it's always like okay what what is the phone policy here yeah what like you, you can have it on do? the course don't make any phone calls just don't you know it's a tc way use your best judgment don't be a scumbag but there are some places that are like just don't even get it out and it's like, hey, I'm cool. I'm totally cool with either. Just lay down the rules of the road. What to expect money-wise. Like, bring this much in, in cash. Have this on you for gratuities. And then total, this is what you should expect to be paid at the end of your trip. And it was just like, it was so good. He, he was like, 
by far one of the best hosts that I've ever had going to a place like that, just because of like, there's no such thing as over communication when you're doing that. I, Clearly, I, I, like people who are nervous about it. I, I was lucky enough to play a, you know, a nice course down in New Jersey recently. And, uh, my host is exactly the same way. Gave me like a, just a bullet pointed email. I'm like, here's what we're doing, you know? Yep. And like, yeah, I'm not like, I appreciate you having me out. I'm paying my own way, baby. Like, yep. and I'm ready to like, don't, you know, there's no, uh, I, I don't know. I think, yes, clear upfront communication on that stuff. And then if you're not getting that, I've learned it's like you have the right to ask. So good. TC, Randy, how you doing? This is Clay. That's not us, but this is a good question. Hey, I just wanted to nominate a topic for the trap draw to dissect. Um, I was really inspired by the tipping conversation that broke out a couple months ago. I'll just get right to it. I I think the modern toilet seat in, in America is a disgrace. Um, the the mm. way that we handle it, you know, we're archaically going into a public bathroom and picking up a toilet seat, placing it back down. Um, it's it's just insane <clears throat> that it's not automated by now, like like a soap dispenser. Uh, it, you know, why, why haven't we figured out a way, like with a foot pedal or or something, to to control the toilet seat and not have to touch it with our hands? It's, it just seems kind of a, a wild that we're in in public restrooms and and you know people would ask maybe why now we're seeing more all gender restrooms uh we just went through a pandemic and then you know i'm sure tc has seen this but all these high dollar crazy cool toilets coming out of asia like toto and some of these five ten thousand dollar toilets i mean why are we so far behind in america and and why don't we have a solution for this for the everyman you know in, in the grossest rest stop to to a public bathroom in a, in a restaurant it just doesn't make any sense so where else but the trap draw can we figure this stuff out and hopefully you boys agree and uh, i appreciate the consideration well clay and columbus that is a fantastic start, thought starter there I, I first off i think that your problem we should take this to american standard currently the american standard for our toilet seats might be lacking i can echo the the toto stuff uh when i worked at google they used to have like the um automated bidet toilet seats i didn't have a lot of experience with bidets before working at the big google uh what a thrill to get a little warm water up there in the uh in the underworld uh i was you know a little scared to use it at first but then came to really 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 like it um so shout out to toto they they do good work um i i gotta push back a little bit i think when you think about where we are in the modern world, we we don't get our hands dirty doing much anymore, right? Uh, especially as knowledge workers. And I would hope that after you have a sit down, see a man about a horse, that you're going to wash your hands anyway. So we're, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're going to fix this problem anyway at the end. And, you know, there's no shame in grabbing a few squares of toilet paper. And when you bring that seat down, if you're having a sit down and you bring that seat down, you can use the toilet paper to do that and then give it a nice, you know, kind of counterclockwise circle. Make sure it's clean. Make sure you want to put your cheeks on that thing. Uh, I think there are some kind of blue collar solutions to this issue without us having to retrofit. I think the foot pedal is an interesting idea. I'm a big fan of analog technology, but I don't need, you know, a push button to lift the the seat up because what's next now nobody wants to touch the button so we've got to have like you know no no contact wave to to unlock the toilet seat 
that shit's going to break, man. Like I get frustrated on the car with all these buttons to close the, the hatch on the door. I feel like they, you know, a lot of times they close too slowly or they, you know, I, I sometimes I just want to shut my trunk with my hands. You know what I mean? Like analog, like let's, it, it, let's get it done quicker. I get a little sick of the buttons in our society already. So I would, my pushback to Clay and Columbus would be like, let's, let's get a little clever with some, some blue collar, some analog solutions. Cody, where do you stand? God, you hit a couple really good points in there. There's nothing more uh, jarring to your system when you go try to close a hatch on an automatic and you, you hear the gear start to uh, engage and it's like, and you immediately just like let it go and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to break anything. The same thing with our minivan. Like we have people who, uh, if they're riding with us in the, in the minivan, they'll grab the handle and try to try to close it. Just try to do the nice, the right thing. And they'll feel the gear kick in and they'll just be, immediately let it go and be like shocked because they're like, oh my God, I don't want to break anything. I like where you're going. And the reason why I brought up this toilet talk is because number one, I agree. Shout out to Toto. They're very expensive. I think there's uh, some other cheaper options you can get for the bidet. Big fan of bidet. Uh, Neil, you probably know this, but I've spent a lot of my time overseas uh, going to the bathroom in no toilets. And I think that's something that people forget about all the time is that like a toilet, uh, something that you actually like sit on is a luxury that like 80% already a luxury. World yeah, exactly. Doesn't have. Okay. I'm like, I, you can go not only to the like Middle East, but parts of Europe, parts of Asia, all over where it's literally, it's not a hole in the ground, but they, they have porcelain basins that are in the ground that literally they like, you know, they have little traction pads of, you know, where to put your feet at and you literally squat down. And then if you look behind you, there's literally like a hose with like a dishwasher uh, squirter that like, that's, that's your bidet to clean off with. So I think the fact that we have a seat and we're talking about seats is already a luxury that not a lot of people have. Having said that, I love American toilets, I think. And this is not about like the American standard brand that sells. You can talk about cola or anything else like that. I think how American toilets are situated are great. I think we have a great, uh, you know, the pressure and the gallons that we use per flush. I think the way that the toilet bowls themselves are situated and the water, how it sits there, makes it so it's it's not an, a super dirty, dirty mess. It's a dirty situation as it is going on. Now, Big and I were over in London uh, a couple weeks ago, and I cannot get over how poorly designed their toilets are. I know they do this because they're trying to, they're trying to conserve water. So they're not thinking about, uh, you know, flushing and power flushing and everything else like that. But basically, it's impossible not to leave a bowl all streaked up the, the yeah, there's not as much water in there, so you got to be the very engineering targeted with your with your drop. Yeah, right. The the, engi the engineering of it, like you're basically just like laying this thing in the bottom of this like bowl where there's no water to to you know kind of cover it up or anything. You got to do like 15 courtesy flushes, and then when you stand up and look, you're like, oh my god, like there's a Picasso down there that you still got to clean up. I think the toilet <laughs> brush thing could be one of the most disgusting things that they're that has ever been invented like the fact that like you just clean up people's poop and like you put it back in that weird container and it's sitting yeah. there for the next person you want to talk about like high touch areas that thing's fucking disgusting okay and any toilet that you have to have that you should probably think about getting a different toilet the final thing on this the toilet seat themselves in europe the toilet seats are too thin 
They fucking cut off circulation to your legs. They make you so uncomfortable. It feels like you're falling off this thing. And I'm not like a huge guy by any means, but I think like you could add a little bit of width there. Sure. I took a picture and added it to my Instagram story because we're talking about luxuries here, which are indoor plumbing. Now, we're not talking about porta potties or outhouses or anything else like that. But there was literally this porta potty that had a fucking stick shifter on it that you drop the bottom. So you, you put everything in the bowl, you use a stick shift, press forward, and it drops everything down. Oh, it was so, so bad. And it wasn't even like hot or humid outside. I could not imagine what that thing would be like if it was in well, the good, in, any place. With the good mobile toilets when they bring the trucks in and you've got the foot pedal flush. Oh, like we're that. not talking about those bad boys. Yeah, like, that's those, a good design, I think. Yes, for sure. 100% agree. I'm talking about literally manual outside what you would think of uh, outhouse shitters you name it. it it's just crazy so yes i agree toto heated toilet seat i mean we spent a week in korea last year and it was the most luxurious bathroom experience i've ever felt you could set the temperature on on the seat the water temperature coming out big, big fan of bidets uh i want that on the record i, I think if people who I, are afraid of that you just got to try it once and embrace yeah. it man I would say, Clay, you're on the right track with I'm, I have no issue with more innovation in our toilets in the U.S., but I don't think the baseline is as bad as you feel it is, is where I'm at, right? Like, I think that the, the American standard currently, I think, is solid. But like, yeah, like, let's get disruptive in the bathroom. But you got to bring me some if, – if we're going to automate the toilet seat coming up and down, I need some other features on there to make that worth my time. Right. Like yeah. that, that's not the feature that I need, you know, I, I, but if we start working in bidets, heated seats, things of that nature, sign me up. Yeah. Hi, this message is for Neil. Um, calling to see if you have any comment on the toxic, toxic fumes detected at uh, Royal Palms shuffleboard and any pending workers comp claims uh, after the holiday party. Uh, let me know. Really? I might have to look know. this up. Uh, that's a bummer. Okay, so for for those uh, you know those that don't know, Royal Palms is a shuffleboard place in uh, Gowanus. So like on the other side of my neighborhood, across the Gowanus Canal. Gowanus Canal is uh, the largest super fun site in history of the United States. Uh, they they cannot depollute it. It's so sick. Uh, but what's sick about it is back in like the eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties, I think like. 40% of the United States GDP came out of that canal. It's like where all the mills and factories were just all up and like up and down this canal. Now it's getting regentrified like crazy. There's like four high rises going up right next to Royal Palm Shuffleboard. So it's right over on Union Street. It's a really cool place. Um, we were in there for our team offsite in January. Uh, turns out guy walks in with the NLU, like no laying up corduroy hat on. The big homie is the club champion at Royal Palms Shuffleboard. So cool. So massive shout out. Uh, the guy just in there getting his work. Um, I did not know about the toxic fume situation. I wouldn't say it surprises me based on its location <laughs> near uh, the canal. Um, I also want to say that the place like a couple blocks over, there was a place called Pig Beach, which was like the best. Like It was like a sports bar, but like outdoor – area it would remind you of a lot of the stuff you probably see in fort worth cody like barbecue yeah. big big warehouse turned into like an open air barbecue 
you know, patio area with just like every NFL game popping right on the canal, which like in New York, you know, any, even if it's a super fun site, we'll take the waterfront location. So I moved the neighborhood, went, went there twice last fall during football season. They shut the place down in, in February, they sold out and now they're building a massive apartment building there. Like, you know, mixed use apartments and everything. So that's where I'm really bummed out. I'll give the uh, Royal Palms, you know, folks a, a you know a pass until I do a little bit more research. So I'll come back to you. Um, have I, not I think gotten they're any workers to... cop stuff from from yeah. you guys. It seems like I run by there all the time. It seems like it's still open. So hopefully they've got it fixed. But that's a bummer, and and it's something that we will monitor. Listen, I'm very very well adversed in toxic fume sites and everything else like that, burn pits of, of things of that nature. I think I'm covered there. But maybe ask the rest of the crew. Who knows? And shout out to the Royal Palms Shuffleboard. What is it? Club? They were all up in my DMs a couple weeks ago because at, at the AIG Women's Open, they had a massive shuffleboard set up in the fan village. There we and go. it was awesome. Yeah. And I was sending, I sent some pictures back to them. I love those guys. Awesome people, friends of the brand. And uh, I hate hearing that for Well, them. sometimes the toxic fumes, that could just be a neighborhood issue. I mean, in the summer... Gowanus Canal, it you can start to smell it. So there's this bridge, which is really sick, Carroll Street Bridge. It's like a historic artifact. It's like this wooden bridge that's on these weird like tracks. It almost comes in and out diagonally. So it used to let ships come through. Apparently, like a couple years ago, they were supposed to fix it. They're like, oh yeah, we're gonna shut it down for three months to do some repairs. Then they got down in there and like the bridge pylons have been rotting because the water's so polluted that it's been closed for like 18 months and they can't figure out how to fix it. Because they 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 just constantly are trying to dredge out this canal of all the you know pollution, and it just seems like the sludge down there under the waterline is just you know <laughs> they can't figure it out. There's no because it's a dead yeah. end. There's no flow coming out of it, and yeah. I don't think they want to just like you know pull it all out into the New York Harbor. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the Gowanus Canal. Something to like a, a good Wikipedia wormhole for people. Uh, check out the the canal. I'm going to fire that up. One more voicemail for us. And, and before we get that, there's a lot of other clickbait stuff in there that people wanted to, us to touch on. Poosh sent something about the Dalai Lama letting people suck on his tongue. I didn't want to touch that with a, a 25-foot pole. Uh, we tough, don't want to, we're not trying to cancel the Dalai Lama, Poosh. We're not doing that, no. okay? Speaking of canceling, uh, of course, Night Train Lane called in. You know, he's trying to get TC canceled for still uh, calling the the Washington football team the Redskins. It's going to take time, okay? Lane, I don't like that. Uh, he was also on me about my Jersey Mike's order. Uh, I'm calling it the the wrong names. I, I understand. Listen. What, what's your Jersey happen. Mike's order? The uh, the Italian one. I'm afraid to even say it now because I'm going to say the it's wrong a, thing. It's I, a giant 13, Mike's way. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, I I think that I just I, well, I you said, know what Lane Lane's a bad guy. You just go ahead, go tell him to fuck off. You can tell him. Well, say it. I'm going to tell him that in, in person, of course, because it's always a, a treat to see him uh, in person. Great personality on, on the internet, even better personality in person. But cowers uh, when put in the hot seat. But I got a lot of <laughs> I got a lot of uh, feedback. Of course, people asking. When I talk about things on here, it's usually a lot of military things. There's a, an outpouring of support, which I appreciate when I had discussed suicide, mental health, everything else 
like that when we first started the the booth episodes earlier this year. I appreciate everybody's feedback there. I personally am doing better than ever, and I say that because of therapy and everything I'm going to. I think mental health is something that it, it should be okay for men to talk about and all the, the stigmas and taboos about being less manly or anything else like that. Fuck all of those. Talk about your shit. Uh, there's nothing worse than holding it in. But I appreciate everybody's message there. I tried to keep all the military questions to a minimum during this one because I wanted to see what, uh, you know, throw some funny stuff out there for for the kid. Well, we had to catch up because the other, the, the chop guys aren't, they're not doing their job. They're, they're sleeping on the job over there. Absolutely agree. But these are some of the best questions that I have. I get questions like this weekly in my dms i get emails about it all the time and uh this guy asking a military specific question which i love and would love to discuss more cody neil this is dan from uh, central florida first time long time been a big fan of what y'all are putting out for quite some time now i had a military related um question for cody specifically uh i am early in my 20s and looking to get some advice on the early stages of um, enlisting into the military. I know that I'm wanting to go in the Air Force branch. Um, Obviously, with your wife's experience, I figured that you would have some great insight into what that would look like to give you some background. I do have Um, an Eagle Scout and a bachelor's degree. So I would prefer to go the officer route and figured I'd call in and see what you guys thought. Thanks for everything you do. Looking forward to it. First of all, I think congratulations to him on his Eagle Scout stuff. That's something that uh, I was a young boy Boy scout, but then when it like stuff started getting difficult, I was like, nah, I'm out of here, man. I got yeah. more important things. I didn't make it past Weebelos. <laughs> I was a now, I was a proud Cub Scout though, I'll tell you that. This guy, uh, best of luck, and I hope uh he follows through. Uh, I would say if somebody would ask me right now in this year 2023 of there are deployments that are still going on, but not as obviously robust as it was five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I would say and would push people to enlist in the air force now i think his vernacular that he used at one point in time he said he wanted to enlist but also he said he wanted to be an officer because he has a degree if you want to choose your job what you do in the military you're only going to be able to do that basically by enlisting if you go in the officer route you're they're going to give you three choices based off of uh not branches of service but branches of duties in what you want to do and they're basically going going to pick for you and put you in whatever what are the what are the three choices so basically not just three but they're going to give you three options of like there's so many different branches of duties in the military that that like if you want to talk about like army you could talk about infantry artillery comptrollers you could talk about uh logistics and supply you could talk about all these different like generalized categories that you would fit into the same thing with uh the marine corps the same thing with the navy the same thing with the coast guard same thing with the air force uh and i'm sure the space force is is following along the same route but what i would say for him if he is going to join the air force and he wants to be an officer 
and get on the special operations route, it's very difficult to come in and just say, that's what I want to be. If you wanted to enlist in the Air Force and go through the special operations route as an enlisted man, it's a lot easier. There's only four jobs that you can do, enlisted special operations in the Air Force. That's a, a pararescue man, a PJ, what I would say. One of the most badass uh, medic fields that you can possibly do in the military. They have special reconnaissance, which is the same as every other branch's reconnaissance. Uh, combat controllers, so CCTs, as they're called, basically controlling things on the ground, getting things set up, landing zones, and they're an advanced party for larger troop uh, movements to come into. And then TACPs, which are tactical air control parties, basically controlling all air assets, but from the ground. So that's where you, you're calling in airstrikes and everything else like that. Some cool fucking jobs. I would say... If I was going to do this whole thing over again, I would also probably enlist in the Air Force and I would be a PJ, a pararescue man, because they have some of the coolest jobs. They get to do all the high speed crap uh, that any other, you know, special operations soldier gets to do. But you're also going to do some really cool medical stuff and you get a lot of like high altitude dynamic, uh, like climbing training and everything else like that. Really cool shit. But Air Force good pick there. I hope you follow up on it. And if you have any more questions, uh, shoot me an email. I, I have a couple questions. I, it seems like the, the uh, pararescue man would be a cool job because you're kind of coming, like the name says it, you're coming to the rescue. Whereas yep. like it seems like you did a lot of rescue stuff, but you also did a lot of like, we're going to go fuck shit up stuff too, which is a little yep. bit like, probably puts you in a better headspace when you're trying to go save, you know, like the specific mission is to go save something. That's yeah, just me, you know, as an observer, as someone who has not served. So take that for what it's worth. Two, do you think that there is an age where you shouldn't enlist anymore? Like, what, yeah, like how, how old, like, do you feel like, is it 25, is it 30? You know, like, what, I think when is 30. it? 30. And there are age restrictions on it, but if you get to be 30 years old, listen, your body changes. There's things that you're just not able to do uh, recovery-wise. And learning, uh, I think there's a, a steep learning curve when it comes to processing new information and everything else, like when you're going through military training, and it's a lot. And I know people like poo-poo on, uh, you know, a lot of people join the military that aren't that smart, but like people are like uber smart with their finely like specific skills that they have to be done. And I would say like 30 is the maximum for that. Okay. Uh, surprising to me that, one, you can, if you, so if you have a college degree or is it the Eagle Scout thing that means our guy can go the officer route? A degree. Anybody okay. with a, a degree can go through, uh, you know. OCS? It, yeah. So they're going to go through officer candidate school or if they're still in, in college or anything else like that, you can look up ROTC and go through that route. But if you're just a normal dude who has a degree, you're going to have to go through OCS. Okay. And is that like harder, easier than, than going the enlisted route? Well, I would, that's a trick question. You're asking an enlisted guy this. Well, I would, I, say, but that's, I, I would hope that it would be harder, right? If, if you're trying to dictate the leaders of tomorrow. like I, I would say uh, that it's, it's a very similar to what basic and uh, advanced enlisted training is. But I would also say that there's things that officers are tested and trained on basically via like leadership stuff that 
they spend an awful lot of time in the classroom where like enlisted guys are just out in the dirt getting like their absolute faces pushed in. Why did you never go to OCS? Because I, number one, loved my job. Absolutely loved what I do. I wanted to have complete control over it. And when you're an officer in the military, basically you only get to keep your job for two years and then you're rotated out to the next thing. Okay. I wanted, I think I've said this uh, lots of times. I was very, very fortunate that I only had to do one staff position in my entire career. Basically staff being like, you know, we have different S shops. So things that take care of the overall unit, whether that's working in operations or admin or training or other shit like that. I've only had to do one of those jobs, you know, one time. And the rest of the time, I was still very much operational, very much out with the guys uh, getting shit done, where that's impossible to do as an yeah. officer. They just handle basically, a lot more bullshit. Middle yeah, management. basically like, yeah, once you're like an O3, like you're in as an officer, uh, you you lose like complete control over what your career is actually going to be. And you spend more time pushing papers out of desk than anything else. Yeah. That uh, sucked to me. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Good to know. Uh, last thing, Tron and I played golf last Saturday on the north side of Chicago. Uh, nice track. We're on the sixth hole. And I'm just, I, I thought it was kind of a marching band situation going on. You know, or or like high school football, you know, school's getting ready to go. I'm like, hey, what's going on over there? That's the uh, Navy. All of basic training for the Navy was uh, across the, I think, across the railroad tracks up in yeah, uh, northern I, Chicago. I think so, it's uh, Naval Station Great Lakes or something like that. And these guys, you could just hear them, you know, over hill, over dale. We have hit the dusty trail, <laughs> baby. I mean, lots <laughs> of PT going on, Cody, for five hours, man, like. Could just hear it echoing over there. Uh, well, well, we'll say four hours. We played pretty quick. Um, but it was like, <laughs> you know, Saturday morning, the boys are getting it in over there. It was great oh, stuff. Yeah. No such thing as, uh, you know, Saturdays or Sundays. And when you're going through basic training, that's for sure. I was thinking uh, and joking about it with somebody a couple days ago. I think I was complaining, of course, it's so hot here in Texas. For some reason, I ended up going through summer training and basically every single military course that I ever went. I was summer in basic training. I was summer for my advanced training. I was summer for airborne school. I was summer for ranger school. I was summer for the ranger indoctrination program when I was went and was assessed and selected to become a ranger and serve in ranger regiment. And I was joking because... I was like, man, it's so hot outside. Like, I don't even want to go run anymore. And I was thinking about, I'm like, man, you're, you've become like way too soft, man. Because 20 years ago, you would have been out doing PT and not having an issue with this. And I, Yari was reminding me of the story. And we were not together at the time. Uh, but I remember it's one of the first stories that I told her, like when we were dating. And it's a story when I was going through RIP and you, you spend an awful lot of time basically information waiting for your next order. And it was the middle of August in Fort Benning, or, or I can't even remember what the new name of it is, but uh, in Columbus, Georgia. And everybody, you know, there's 40 of us that are left. I think we started with like 85 in our class. So this is midway through training. And during uh, RIP, everybody has a shaved head and you do not wear a hat or a cover at any point in time. But you're standing out on this, we called it the blacktop because it was not normal concrete or pavement. They literally came through with like a, a tar team and it was, you know, tar 
blacktop. So it was so hot and humid and you would stand out there for hours at a time with your instructors, you know, ranger instructors, just walking up and down the formation, waiting for somebody to, to flinch or to fall out because of heat exhaustion or anything else like that. But I'd had such a, you know, my head had been completely shaved for so long and you're out in the dead ass heat with no cover on that you also, you didn't want to wear sunscreen because when you'd start to sweat, the sunscreen on your head would drip down in your eyes and you'd like, it would make the worst stinging pain in your eyes ever. So you're just like, oh, fuck it. Like I'll, and you can't move, you can't wipe your face. Nothing, nothing, no movement at all. I remember telling Yari this story and she was telling one of our friends this other day that like, yo, yeah, Cody thought it was so cool. And looking back on it now, it's so stupid that like didn't wear sunscreen, didn't have a cover. Uh, And a lot of things have changed since then. But I had such large blisters on the top of my head because of the sunburn and the blisters when I was standing in formation, they would pop because they would get so full. And instead of having sunscreen dripping down in my eyes, I had like pus and everything else dripping down in my eyes. There's a bunch of crazy shit. And obviously, you know, when you go to get your haircut the next time and it's straight, you know, no guard, just just buzzed across your skin from all those pop blisters would just be peeling and you just have basically look like you have permanent dandruff everywhere. Oh God! So I go to the fucking VA clinic. Right. And I'm like doing my, you know, my checks and everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to be in the situation that I am where nothing uh, crazy happened to me, but a lot of little things that added up over time. And the doctor's talking to me and I'm like, yeah, you know, last year, uh, I don't know. I've talked to you about this and I've talked to a couple of other people on the team, but unfortunate circumstance where melanoma runs in my family. And last year I ended up getting moles cut off my body. Uh, a couple of them tested for uh, stage one, but a lot of them were stage zero. So nothing crazy here to report. Very, very lucky. You know, the doctor at the VA clinic is talking to me about this and is like, well, you know, talk me through your history uh, with son and like care that you've done. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, let me tell you these stories. Neil, the VA came back and told me that none of it was service related. What? Yes. Yes. I literally have documented medical records of like extreme sunburn cases being treated at like our medical clinics and everything else like that. The VA told me that it was not service related. So I get zero support at all from the government because of this. Why? Because you, you, you had talk- the option to wear sunscreen. Is that the argument? Basically because they're like, oh, you, you, uh, you should have put this on. It's a, you are issued sunscreen. Uh, we have no way of proving that this is, uh, you know, that the military told you not to. And I'm like, oh, guys, like this is this is fucking crazy. Like I've done so, so, so much and gone all over the world and risked my fuck not only my body, my mind, my fucking heart and my life. And now you're telling me because I want to get this treatment covered through the VA healthcare program that you're telling me that I cannot do it. I have to use my private insurance for it. It fucking pissed me off so bad. But man like thinking back on that story and like, I, you know, I'm one of thousands of people who, who this has gone, you know, gone through this. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, it's just crazy. So, so petty. 
wild, wild times, but you want to talk about like issues and everything. Well, else, to uh, bring it back around, it's like, head. you know, we complain about the airlines. I think that's something, you know, that, that might be a, a, a better place to put our frustration right there. I know. As I got like the kids that run up to me and they're like, you know, I got these spots on my face still that still won't completely like heal up and shit like that. But we're doing okay. Hot weather. Everything's going good down here. We're making it through it, Neil. The kids are finally back in school. Do they like school? They love it. Everything's going great for them. I will say the one thing, uh, you know, just because we don't have that much time with them anymore because summer break, we, we had so much time in the day and it was so fun getting into a routine and playing with them and stuff like that. So you basically only get like an hour with them in the morning and then a couple hours mixed in soccer practice, baseball practice, everything else like that after school. But this morning I woke up and, uh, you know, I do my normal morning routine, help them get uh, get dressed. And then I, I'm in charge of getting their teeth brushed. So I'm up there supervising teeth brushes. And as they come through, you know, the twins are great. They know what they're doing. They're they're still kind of sleepy and everything else like that. But I always ask them like, hey, you know, good morning. Like, how did you sleep? Did you have any dreams or anything else like that? Nina, our youngest had been kind of sick from the first week of school, obviously picking up a tongue of bugs. And it was so funny because I go, oh, Nina, good morning. I said, how did you sleep? She goes, oh, I slept good, daddy. I said, okay, well, did you have any dreams? She goes, I did not have any dreams. I closed my eyes and everything went black. And that's all I remember. <laughs> good for her. What a simple world. I wish I had that life, man. Anyway, buddy, you're at the country estate. I hope Sunny is enjoying her time with uh, with Elvis, with, with with the family. What what are you doing out there? You you watching I'm the catching house? Up. Just... Yeah, my in laws are at the uh, at the beach, so I'm out here. You know, dog sitting, little personal retreat. It's great, man. It's great to get out of the city. It's hot right now. Uh, I might go jump in the pool. Just got to catch up on some work. Head back to Chicago for a bachelor party this weekend. I got lots of weddings. I got lots of <laughs> you lots do of travel have a, coming up. Coming a lot up. of weddings, man. It's crazy. <laughs> we got to show up, though, Cody. You got to show up for the people we love. Very well so, said, man. All right. Well, we'll do it again. I think the you know keep sending the voicemails in. What what's the number? Eight three 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 zero eight seven two five. The trap draw listener line. We're monitoring it now. We're going to take them, and don't worry. We're going to try to hold the other two accountable as well, but I think we've been a, on a pretty good run. The Perfect Club, the Bear was fucking awesome. I continue to love chop sessions with Randy and TC. I'm pumped for NFL to start going again because I can't wait to see uh, you know Poosh and KVV more involved there. I'm also been digging hard knocks. I don't know how you're oh feeling about God. your Jets. I actually wanted to, to ask you... I wanted to ask you about Pete. Isn't Pete like a big Jets fan? No, he's a massive football fan. That's my father-in-law. Uh, he, but he's not really like – he doesn't really ride for any specific team. I'd probably say he's more of a Giants guy. I mean, I, I am on the Jets bandwagon. I've always been a massive, massive fan of Rodgers. You know, he's starting to get a little annoying off the course, but Hard Knocks has me back yeah. on the bandwagon, dude. I mean, the guy is an absolute savant on the football field. His, his teammates seem to love him. He's just—he's kind of just a gangster out there. The way he just—he's so swaggy on the football field, and uh, I'm really enjoying the hard knock stuff. Uh, if they could figure out how to how to get no line, they could block. I think the Jets could be dangerous. They got talent all over the place at the skill positions, and the defense is gnarly. So plus, I'm digging their coach, man. Outside, of, like he kind of uh, 
maybe a little bit too much defer like deferential treatment to Aaron Rodgers at times. Like I want to see him like be the coach still, but like massive respect and a hard position for him to be in with like a true like Hall of Famer like coming in well, and, and not giving him that treatment. Well, what I like about Salah, he seems very comfortable in his own skin and comfortable being like, yeah, dude, you're like you know by far the best quarterback I that's ever played with me. He's a defensive guy, you know, and I I think he's just genuinely like. It doesn't seem like it's about him. I mean, I don't think it, you know, is he a great football coach? I guess we'll find out. But he seems like the kind of guy I'd want to play for. Um, and, like, I don't feel like he's – you watch some of these other NFL coaches and they're, like, kind of almost insecure isn't the right word, but, like, trying to put on this front as, like, the, you know, master of the universe leader of men. It's like, no, I think Salah's just like, we got, like, we just – he, you know, he's like, we got to get the the big boys up front blocking. Like that seems to be like everything else <laughs> yep. is fine, you know. But uh, but yeah, Hard Knocks has been great. God, the bet, my my favorite moment so far uh, this season is when they go down to to Carolina and they do joint practice with the Panthers before they do that the scrimmage game, and Rogers walks up to well, his old like assistant coach in Green Bay and he's like, "What's up, you little bitch." Yeah, no, he's like, he's like, I'm gonna punch you in the nuts. You're, you're, you're not under like two, two seventy or whatever. You fat fuck. What do you weigh? Yeah. He's like, I'm only five over the way. He's like, bullshit. I don't know, man. The guys, it, it seems like he's trying to pay it forward. I just, it strikes me a good core with me to see how much all these new teammates love him, right? And it's like, yeah, probably because like, hopefully he's gonna win us, you know, win us some games. But it, it seems like he puts in you know, some genuine effort to like get to know people on the staff, his teammates, like he, he seems like he's, he's about the right things uh, on the football field, which I appreciate. If you want to hear more about the Jets organization, dive into the owner's pod. How do you think so far ownership doing for the Jets this year? Clay, I mean, gotta be happy investing in it, right? Yeah. Last night's hard knocks episode. Like, you know, Woody's kind of a dweeb, but like he's a dweeb that's willing to spend money. I mean, they just brought in uh new running back, like they pay the D tackle, like all the money, like he's, he's open to the checkbook. Like that's what you got to do. So I think he's overall like a good owner. I, I almost expected in my research of Woody Johnson, there to be some more skeletons in the closet, but it's kind of <laughs> just like, yeah, kind of just a trust fund kid that like now owns the jets and, you know, sincerely cares if they win games. Now that he's back from the UK being the ambassador. Uh, so good on him. I think, I wouldn't say I'm a Jets fan. I'm definitely if we if you make me pick between Jets and Giants, I think the Jets are a lot more fun, almost because they've stunk for so long. And it's always fun in when you're in New York City and one of the NY teams is playing well, whether it's Yankees or Mets or Giants or Jets. Like you want, you know, it's it's nice when the city has juice. So I'm I'm rooting for the Jets this year because I think that'll be a fun, you know, a fun fall for me. God, that's so good. And your your rundown of Woody while he was the ambassador to the UK got me thinking. I think I might start doing some research and try to find who either currently or looking back in the past, like who are the funniest selections for these ambassadorships, what they actually uh, accomplish and like all the shenanigans that they actually ended up getting into because the political appointed ones are like, laugh out loud looking yes i think i I think it'd be great to run through like maybe for next time run through the top five for you 
And that could be top five, Ooh. like that you've interacted with of like, yo, this guy was such a clown, you know, or, or so-and-so was great. You know, maybe we do like top three, worst, top three, best or something. I'm, I'm down to get into the ambassador stuff with you. Hell, there's that TV show on Netflix right now, I think called uh, The Diplomat about, uh, you know, female ambassador to the UK. And I'm always like, uh, it just pisses me off because I'm like, that's, that's not really how that shit happens. Yeah. Anyway, man, action packed episode here. Hope everybody dug uh, the listener line. Neil, of always, thank you for spending the time with me. And we missed it at the beginning. Uh, we got to thank you, Mr. Jeezy. For, <laughs> oh, my for goodness. Two hours late on that. But we, we 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 did it. So if anyone gives a shit, they just had to listen to the whole thing. Exactly. Stay till the end. That's where the good stuff's at. 833-330-8725. Neil, thanks. Cheers, brother. Peace.